I'm Steve Fisher. Many people grow up with an idea of what they want to do with their life, only to find that the reality doesn't match the dream. Time for a new dream. But where do you find it? Mitchell Wu wanted to be an illustrator, but found that playing with toys and a camera was a better fit. Went to a park nearby, and I set up the shot. I set up my stormtroopers like in the crook of a tree. I took the shot, and from that very first click the shutter, I knew that was going to be my next career. Wu gives action toys a new meaning. He's here to tell us about shooting toys on Life Slices. We're here today with Mitchell Wu. Who is Mitchell Wu? Well, I am a creative person at heart, and I'm just trying to explore that part of me more fully and thoroughly than I ever have um, previously in my career. Oh, cryptic. Very cryptic. So <laughs> let's start with your background. What's your background? What did you go to school for and grow up thinking you were going to do? I think pretty much my whole life I was going, to, I knew I was going to be some type of artist. And I went to an art school in just outside of San Francisco, actually in Oakland called, well, back then it was called the California College of Arts and Crafts. And I think since then crafts has kind of, as a word, has kind of not been respected in the art community. So they've changed the name of the college to the California College of the Arts. They've kind of removed the crafts part. But yeah, I went four-year program, have a degree in illustration. With a degree in illustration, what did you expect to be doing when you got out of college? I expected to be doing the things that my illustrator heroes were doing, which was beautiful paintings and illustrations for magazine covers, for movie posters, for book covers, for editorial illustrations in magazines. That's exactly the path that I imagined myself being on. And as life sometimes does, it threw you a curveball. What made you switch to photography? It really did. You know, I look back and I can see I had this clear path in my mind of where I wanted to go. And I can see exactly where I kind of got off that path and went to a different direction. And that was not long after art school. It's like I was working in a photography studio and I still still had this path in mind. I was just trying to put together my portfolio while I was working there, you know, make some extra cash and focus on the illustration. While I was there, somebody had seen my work and they told me about a company that was looking for illustrators and designers in Petaluma, California. And I thought, sure, I'll try it. So I submitted some work and they said, yeah, we want to, you know, start you off freelance. And so I started, what they did was they created these ceramic carousel horses. That was their big thing. Ceramic carousel horses that were eventually sold through like Hallmarks and collectible gift stores. But they also did other things like mugs and just giftware in general, but carousel horses was huge. So I started illustrating these carousel horses, which would eventually be sculpted in Asia and then manufactured in ceramic in Asia. At the time it was Taiwan. So I thought, wow, this is great. I'm still working on my portfolio and I'm actually still using my drawing skills. I'm getting paid for it. I thought it was wonderful. Eventually they offered me a full-time job. I took it. And not long after that, they offered me a position in Taiwan, which is where everything was being manufactured. So I was actually going to be living in Taiwan, still designing the, pro the product, but also working directly with the sculptors there and seeing it all the way until the product was approved by myself. And then it would be handed off to somebody else for production. But that's where I really got off my path right there. And I look back and I, I don't regret any of it. It was an amazing experience. I was in my like my mid-20s. I was living in Asia and they had a beautiful corporate house. I was learning a lot of different stuff, but I wasn't doing what I set out to do. I understand that feeling. It would have been funny, though, if you had been so inspired, you decided to run a carousel. <laughs> Not 
not quite the same as what you do. So what what inspired the toy photography? It's a very interesting and very particular niche. How did you get into that? It's an extreme niche, yeah. So I had been like half of my career now was in product design and product development. I worked for Disney for six years doing the same thing that I just told you, but for their characters, creating amazing sculptures and and basically statues that were very expensive. I, w- I considered myself a, a very restless creative. Like I wasn't finding that creative. I wasn't satisfying that appetite I had. So I would stay at certain companies for a couple of years or Disney was the longest, which was six years. And then I would get restless. I'm, I'm tired of the Disney properties. I want to see what's next. And so I would move, I moved around to a couple of different little entertainment studios doing similar things, not the same, but similar. And eventually, and then in between jobs, I would freelance doing product design for other people or creating my own lines and licensing them out. Around 2001, I was recruited for, and I always say this, it was the highest paying job, quote unquote job of my career, but it was also the worst job of my career. It was. And I, I learned an incredible lesson out of that experience, which was you can't just chase the money. I had never really taken a job for the money before. I always enjoyed or thought the company was cool. I liked what they were doing, but this particular company... I disliked the product. I disliked where the product was going to be distributed. There's nothing about this job that I liked except for the paycheck. It was a really horrible commute. I had a young daughter at the time and I would leave before she would wake up and I would get home after she went to sleep. And right around the same time, I had my older brother. He was 49 and he passed away unexpectedly, like so young, right? Yeah. Um, and it was those two things that kind of almost coincided at the same time that really made me step back and look at my life and what I was doing. I was frustrated. I was unhappy. And I knew, and I look back and I saw, I know what happened. You know, I got so far, far off my path and then I started chasing the money and I looked closely at what I was doing. And I decided that I, I really had to make an attempt to get back to something entirely creative in my life. And that's when I picked up a camera, which was totally new to me. I love shooting photographs, but I, but it was usually with point and shoot cameras. That was before cell phones. So there was no cell phone camera around. So were there cell phones? Yeah, there were cell phones back then, but I wasn't using, I was using point and shoots. It was and continues to be an incredible learning process, but that's how I eventually got into photography. I did probably 12, 13 years of like lifestyle portraits and eventually wedding photography. In 2015, I'd shot hundreds of weddings. I'd been shooting weddings for maybe seven years. And my daughter was 15. She was just entering high school. And I realized that, you know, she's four more years and she's probably going to be off somewhere. She's going to be heading out on her own to go to college is exactly what happened. And I was shooting weddings, which only happened on the weekend. So I was missing all of her. She was a competitive swimmer. So I was missing all of her swim meets. And every time I missed something like that, a little piece of me inside died. So in 2015, I just committed to myself that I was not going to shoot any more weddings. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do, but I knew I was going to stop shooting weddings because I couldn't, I had to be, I had to be a part of my daughter's life more in these last four years. And right around the same time that I made that decision, I started seeing these really weird, strange photos that my nephew was posting on Facebook and there were toy photos. And he eventually said, Hey, Uncle Mitch, next time you come up, just bring your camera gear. I'll take you out and we'll go shoot some toys. So several months later, I was in no hurry because it was just a weird thing to me. It's like, I was in no hurry to shoot toys, but I did go up there and I brought my gear and he took me out. He lent me some toys because I didn't have any toys. He gave me a couple stormtroopers, went to a park nearby and I set up the shot. I set up my stormtroopers like in the crook of a tree. I took the shot and from that very first click the shutter, I knew that was going to be my next career. It was just like, 
the moment that I clicked that shutter, like everything went off in my head and my body. It's like, this is amazing. And not only was it amazing, I was almost positive that I could make a career out of it. I'm not sure why I thought that because up until that point, I don't think there was any like independent photographers like pursuing a full-time career or even kind of any kind of a career with toy photography. It was strictly hobbyist at that point. Not to say that certain toy companies didn't have their own in-house photographers, but there wasn't a whole lot of storytelling, creative toy photographer, happy, toy photography happening at that time. It's more like for catalogs, like in white backdrops. And that's part of my, my makeup. I'm like, I don't think, I don't think things through entirely. Like there, I, I'm very, I'm, I really enjoy taking risks. And that's like, I, it could drive my wife crazy because I've done it so many times and I've hopped around to different jobs so many times. Yeah. So I just, I just jumped right in and basically that's how, that's how I started. So when you when you drop a toy from a tree to photograph it, do you drop with it? <laughs> Talk about taking risks. I'm going. I. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because when I first saw my nephew's, his name is Johnny. When I first jo- saw Johnny's photos on Facebook, it was like of a, a Ninja Turtle action figure sitting on a BMX, and he was soaring over through the air. And I'm thinking, well, what is he doing? Is he like throwing them through the air and just trying to capture that exact moment? And I think that's what a lot of people think when they first see something like that with toy photography. Of course, what's really done is they're put on wires or something. And so you you don't have to take a million shots and and leave it to chance that you're going to get that shot. You set it up, you control as much as you can, and then you remove, if the wires are visible, you remove them later in Photoshop. Do people ever stop you and say, hey, buddy, you're too old to be playing with toys? That would happen if I was just sitting in the park in the sandbox playing with toys. But luckily, I have a nice camera with me and I'm actually doing something. It does definitely draw attention. I was in Japan in 2019. I brought my camera and a couple toys and we were at a very popular tourist area and there was a rock and I set up I set up an action figure on the rock and the right angle for me to shoot that was laying on the ground. And man, did I draw a crowd really fast. And there's like, I think school had just gotten out. It was a field trip or something. All these little school kids came by and they were like, they were checking me out and they were just going, what the heck is this guy doing? And people were actually videotaping and photographing the toy photographer taking photos of the toys, which is, yeah, it's not unusual to draw a crowd because it is a little bizarre, I think. How do you get started in, in actually making money off that? I mean, it's a it's a cool art form that you've created, and yet you have to earn a living. I think I kind of trailblazed a little because there was nobody doing it, but the process wasn't that difficult. So for the first year, I started in late 2015. Most of 2016 was spent kind of developing my own style, learning the techniques that were different from the other types of photography that I had. I had most of the gear, but I, I I wanted to figure out how to do certain practical effects, which are the real effects, and basically kind of hone my storytelling. And it was, it took, I mean, I'm still learning all that stuff. I'm still honing it. But that year was valuable for me to do that because it really let me focus and figure out what I wanted to do. My first job was with a company called I Am Elemental, and they do all female action figures. It's, it was a really cool line. And I saw it, and it was a pretty new line at the time in 2016. And I kept contacting the the owner of the company, Julie, and I kept saying, hey, Julie, I, I love your product. I want to, I would love to do some toy photography. And she kept saying, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. You know, I contacted her probably three times throughout that year. And then finally, when I contacted her a little later in 2016, she says, yeah, I'm ready. And so she was my first client. She was the first person to take a chance on a new toy. I was a new toy photographer. She was the first one to take a chance on me. And then in 2000, later that year on Instagram, I noticed that 
there was a doll line with Mattel that started following me. And so I immediately reached out. I DM'd them. I said, hey, this is what I do. I'd love to work with you. And within a few days, I had a one-year contract with them. And that was the first major project or contract that I had in my career was with Mattel. And then from there, it was just building and building and building, continuing to create more work and posting them on Instagram, staying active, getting my work out there. And, and then in 2020, I think what really turbocharged my career was that the Toy Association, which is the association for the toy industry, there's a, there was a lady there named Marion Bassard and we we knew each other through social media and she invited me to speak at toy fair it's the biggest convention industry convention in north america and she invited me to speak there and to actually have an exhibit there i didn't want to because it took me out of my comfort zone but i decided to and it it really changed my career and the other thing that happened simultaneous with with that was that i was contacted by disney plus and marvel to participate in a documentary that ended up streaming on Disney Plus just in 2020 as well. So those two things combined really kind of took the career to a different level. So are you in a position now where you don't have to do as much selling as you used to? The clients are set, they know what you can do, and they come back to you? And- exactly. So it was interesting because before before I established myself, as many artists and photographers will do, they'll knock on doors send emails, reach out. And I found that to be wildly unsuccessful. (laughs) It was like a lot of crickets. Julie from I Am Elemental, my first client, that was one where that obviously worked. But for the most part, you reach out and they don't really know who you are at this point. And so they're they're not going to really take a chance on you. But when things turned around for me and I was really out there a lot in the mainstream I don't really approach companies anymore unless there's one that I seriously really want to work with for whatever reason, like they have a toy that I love. But other than that, they're usually coming to me because they have a certain project in mind and they know exactly what I do. I like. I would like that company better that you work for if they got rid of the Ellie and it was just, I am mental. I said, well, there's a company for me. <laughs> Perfect for you. I could just imagine the action figures. Describe the scenarios you do. When the the scenarios depicted in your images, do they come from you or do they come from the client? It's a little of both. Most of the images that I create are for clients. There's for a certain toy and maybe they want to promote it on social media and they may have a general direction like this. This line is we want it to kind of maybe it's the holidays. We kind of want it to have a holiday flair. And then after that, I'll take it. I'll take it and run with it and I'll submit some concepts and We'll proceed from there. There's other clients where they just give me free reign. Here's the product. Go ahead and knock yourself out. And and obviously those are super fun because I get to, I mean, it's not as crazy as I might get with my own personal work on Instagram that you see on Instagram, but they give me a lot of leeway and that's where most of the creativity can come in. It's a lot of fun. Describe a typical photo shoot. What's it like for you when you go out to create one of these scenarios and to get the shot you want? If it's for a personal project, I just have on my phone, I'll have a list of things that come to mind and maybe I'll get to them one day or maybe it'll fall off the list because actually it's a ridiculous idea. But when I decide to go ahead and do it, I'll just head straight to where I'll find a spot that I think is a good place to set up the image. If I'm thinking about, for example, Toy Story, Usually that's probably going to be inside my house because a lot of the stories take place indoors and Toy Story is wonderful because 
they automatically scale with the real world because they're small toys. You don't have to hide the fact that they're toys. So I've done shots in my kitchen, on my stairs, everywhere in the house almost. And then I don't really do a concept for any of my personal work. Like I'll have it in my head and then I'll find the spot where I do it. If it's Star Wars or anything, it might be outside in my backyard, might be on my porch. And then I'll work out the particulars of the lighting and the setup and the compositions right then and there. If it's a client image, what I do is I'll go ahead and submit a sketch. Um, well, in the beginning, because I was an illustrator, I felt like I should submit concept sketches. But I found that if I do photo composites for a concept, it's a lot more clear for the client. So I'll basically set up what I am thinking about very closely. I'll submit the image to the client. They'll either approve it or they'll come back with some changes. And then once it's approved, I'll go ahead and because I already did kind of a rough setup of it, it's just a matter of like polishing things up, making sure the the action figures are posed correctly. And there's nothing that's, I'm really becoming more attuned to detail in my photos just so I don't have to go back later and fix them. I mean, the two, the personal and the client images, it's a slightly different process, but it's also very similar. So at the end of it, uh, sh- a shoot day, when you're shooting around the house, does your wife have to yell at you, Mitchell, put your toys away? <laughs> nope. Nope. She's used to the mess now. I have a, I have a, we have a guest room that's completely filled with boxes of toys. It's terrible. My daughter, since she doesn't live here anymore, her room is filled, is half filled with boxes. And then my studio slash office is just a mess with, because I'll often shoot in here and I could have like two or three projects going at one time and it's just like a disaster. But, you know, it gets done. I, I, I love it. You, you, I, I could just picture your wife and your daughter talking to friends and somebody says, what does your husband do? Or what does your dad do? He plays with toys. <laughs> it's pretty much pretty. That's pretty much it. In the Marvel documentary, she was in New York with me because of Toy Fair, but they also sent a crew to New York to kind of follow me around. And they were in the hotel room. It was early and they were just kept getting me getting ready. And they said, so her name is Jen Chi. And they go, so Jen Chi, what did you, what did you think about your husband doing this? Did you imagine it would turn into this? And she goes, no, I just thought he was in the backyard playing with toys. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that's true. Now you have, you were talking about, you have a lot of practical effects. You don't use digital effects. Explain how you get those images because you have things flying you have explosions you have all kinds of pyrotechnics how do how do you do that right, when it's live and how yeah. have you not burnt your house down that's that's really the um, well thank goodness i haven't yet but that's the really the fun part for me is blowing things up or making dirt and debris blow around or splashing liquids there's people that I know that can and do all of those effects in the computer digitally, and they look amazing. And I won't do it for two reasons. One, because I'm not that talented on the computer, but two, because the practical effects are super fun. I, I love blowing off firecrackers when I was a kid. So why wouldn't I enjoy blowing off firecrackers as an adult for, for work? One of the key components of doing that is having a, just a, a little remote control that I have in one of my hands that I'm able to fire my camera while I'm five or six feet away, stirring dirt around. So a lot of my effects, like the dirt blown around, the water splashes or milk splashes or whatever splashing is just created very simply with compressed air, like the one you use to, to clear off your computer monitor or your computer or keyboard. Just takes a little practice and you pretty much begin to figure out what kind of power you can get out of it and how to use it more subtly to get subtle effects or more more dramatic blasts. 
the water is always a little tricky because you can't really control how that goes. But that's also part of the fun. You just kind of see what you can get. And it's really dynamic. Once you get it, it's kind of it's eye candy for anybody who looks at it. It's like, wow, look at that splash. And then for fireworks, it's a little tricky in California because we're always in such a drought and things are so dry that there's so many laws against using fireworks. The only time that I could get the ones that I use, I'll use sparklers, which sparklers, which you can get online anytime. But the ones that you see mostly are these little things called crackling balls. And when you light it, it just looks like a little, it looks like a, like a little cliche bomb with the fuse coming out, the round bomb, but it's really small. And when you light it off, it's really quite loud. It sounds like a little pack of firecrackers going off. And I could be, depending on project, I could be doing that any time in the year. So I'm very thankful for understanding neighbors because they hear a lot of ruckus coming from my backyard. <laughs> Practical effects, very fun. Next time there's a major brush fire in LA, I'm going to look for your name in the news story. <laughs> I won't be doing any of those crazy, what is it, gender reveals where they burn down. My gosh, I can't believe that. Guy guy playing with toys. That's a huge fire. How long does it take you from setup to completion to get the shot you want? Yeah, I would say on average because it can vary greatly depending on the simplicity of the shot, how many characters or figures I have in the shots, and then how are they posed? Are they are they airborne? Because if they are, then I have to set them up on wires, and it just adds to the time and complexity of the shot. Not to mention the editing. The more complex the setup is, usually means the more complex editing process it is. So I would say on the short end, I could I could set up, photograph a project, edit it, and have it ready and have it finished and ready to post or send out in two or three hours. And that's pretty quick, hmm. but, a, but a really complex image, it can take me a day or two to set up. It can take me a day to shoot. And then it could take me several days to edit. So we could be talking a week for one image easily. Wow. Yeah. What was, what was the most complex shot you ever tried to pull off? It's funny because I can, I definitely know which shot it is, but I, but I'm not sure if it was because where I was at in my toy photography experience is probably within my first year or two. There was a shot I set up with Woody with two eggshells in his hand. And then the egg was, it was falling out into a frying pan. And that one, I probably went through over a dozen eggs on that one just because the main, the main difficulty with that shot was once I, so he had the eggshells, they were in his hands. I had to put wires under him because his, because the weight would automatically make his arms fall down. But the, I would, what I would do is I'd open another egg and I'd pour out the, the raw egg through where the cracks between the two eggshells were. So it looked like it was coming out of that egg. The problem was once you do that, I never really noticed until the shot, but once you empty the egg out of the shell, it moves like at the light of speed. It goes really fast. Like it's not a slow thing. Once the yolk hits the The light edge, of speed or the speed of light? Both. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, you said the well, light of speed. I'm going, that's a new one. I haven't heard of that. Oh, well, you should Google that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a new scientific phenomenon, but it moves. Once the yolk moves past the edge of the eggshell, it just, it goes down so fast. And that was a problem. I wasn't able to catch, catch it the way I wanted to, which is why it took so many takes. And then once it goes through, you have to clean up and start over again, basically. So it, it's a very time consuming process. For any young people listening, can you explain what an egg is? <laughs> it's something that you that most people can't afford right now, but yeah. <laughs> that must have been a very expensive shoot. If you tried it today, it would not yes, work. I probably wouldn't do it today. What would you like people to take from you? I think the 
the main thing that I strive for is not the is not the image quality or the special effects. It's the story. I'm trying to tell a story usually. And, and I think that if people rec, if I make somebody feel something, like if they laugh or if that makes them think or it makes them feel some kind of emotion, I feel like that image was a success. I think that's an important thing. Storytelling is such an important thing for almost any visual art. Mm-hmm. I feel like you go to a, you go to a summer blockbuster movie and half the time a week later, you don't remember what you saw. It, maybe you remember that there was tons of explosions and special effects. But other than that, I've been through that experience many times and I feel like I'm not going to go. I'm going to try to avoid the summer, like most of the the superhero movies. I've been to a couple that were good. I've been to some that I can't remember. And that's all because of the story. And that just goes for movies in general. So I feel like if you have a story, that's what creates the impact. That's what makes it memorable. And if it's a really strong story, whatever you did can become iconic for whatever you do. So storytelling is the thing that I try to focus on. And I hope that people get from looking at my images. If somebody takes a look at your work and goes, wow, that looks cool. I want to do that. How would you advise them? I would just say, you know, start shooting. I mean, there's so much information on in Instagram and on YouTube because we're all posting behind the scenes now, it seems like. So if you want to see how it's done, it's not hard. I would say just try to walk before you run. And really to what I was just saying, focus on your storytelling. I'd much rather see an image that makes me feel something and that's not really technically strong. I'd rather see that than than an image that is has all these cool effects and is technically beautiful, but is not really telling me anything. If somebody wants to see your work, I did post your URL on our Facebook page so people could do their homework before they listen. But I don't know how many of our listeners will actually do their homework first. So, But if people want to see your work, where can they go? They can go to my website which I think you're going to post www.mitchellwutoyphotography.com. It's one L in Mitchell and W-U. Toy photography is not very short. It doesn't roll off the tongue, but it says exactly what I do. <laughs> mitchellwutoyphotography.com. And of course, there's my Instagram, which I'm very, I'm usually pretty active on there. And that's just at Mitchell Wu Photography minus the toy. It's just Mitchell Wu Photography. It's funny because I set up that Instagram account when I was like shooting weddings and stuff. I've been on Instagram since maybe 2011, 2012. And I was there strictly to spy on my kid to see what she was up to on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm, but now I'm very active on Instagram. Why did your parents shortchange you and only put one L in your name? Just so that everybody can spell it with two. And then, so I'll have to correct them basically. <laughs> That's very good. It, is there anything, any question you would like to answer that I haven't asked? Sure. I don't know. Let's see. How would that question be? I guess the question be is like, what is your takeaway from your Mitchell with one L? What is your takeaway from your journey through these years to leading to where you are right now? And my answer would be, don't ever feel like you're stuck in a certain career. I've heard people in their 30s and 40s say like, oh man, I hate my job. I'm in a dead end job, but I'm stuck. You know, I'm already 30. I'm 40. And to that, I would say, I, I didn't find my dream job, my current career until I was in my fifties. So absolutely don't feel like you're stuck because life is, I mean, through those things I told you about with the, with my, the worst job I've ever had and my brother passing away, life is, I mean, it's cliche to say it, but life is really short. It's like, why are you going to be spending it 
doing something that is not meaningful to you. That's not meaningful. And if you're not, if you're not happy, chances are you're not the most pleasant person to be around for your family. I know that I'm a happier person because I'm doing something that I love. So please don't give up on start with, start it, whatever it is, start it as a side hustle and just see what happens. But don't get stuck in one, one job or something that you, in a situation that you don't love, change it. Well, great. Mitchell, thank you so much for Mitchell with one L. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate your being on the show. And everybody go take a look at Mitchell's work because it's fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Fun chatting with you. My thanks to Mitchell Wu for being on Life Slices. If there's a solid takeaway from his story, it is don't chase the money. It may not be the answer for you. Find the passion and pursue that and the money will likely follow. If it doesn't, chances are you won't care because you'll be loving what you're doing and enjoying every waking moment. And isn't that what life's about? If you enjoyed this program, please like us on social media and subscribe wherever you find fine podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music, courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. Mm-hmm.